And we're going to be in Proverbs 23 tonight as we're uh, picking up where Tim left off last week. But uh, before we get into it, let me, I'll just pray one more time as we um, think about what the Lord has for us this evening. So, Father God, we thank you for this evening, and I thank you that, Lord, that your word is active. And as, um, as we open it, we know that you're doing something through it and um, doesn't return void, and you're going to do something in our hearts, Lord, tonight. Um, I thank you so much that um, you've given us the opportunity to be here together this evening, Lord. So just bless our time together. May you be honored through what we do here, Lord, and um, just that our hearts will be ready to hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about as we've been going through the Proverbs is that, you know, God really desires us to be wise. I mean, that's one of the things that God talks about. And one of the beautiful things is that, you know, if we look in James 1, James 1, 5 tells us that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So it's something that God wants to give us, and he will give it to us liberally without reproach. And so what a beautiful thing that God gives us the ability to come to him in wisdom. And one of the re ways he's given us wisdom is through the book of Proverbs. He's really blessed us. Another cool thing that God does is allows us to be a part of the work that he's doing. And he allows us to participate in the work that he's doing. So I was thinking about Solomon becoming, you know, being wise, God giving him wisdom, and then Solomon being able to write these things down. So he, Solomon had the opportunity to be used by God so that you and I might be able to be, know some, gain wisdom because of it. Um, one of the reasons I was thinking about why we need wisdom is because we're living in a fallen world. And, and Proverbs is almost like, this is how you interact. This is how you live in a fallen world. There's going to be things that are broken. This isn't a utopian society. But God hasn't left us on our own to just figure out this on our own. He's blessed us with this book, which many times repeats itself over and over again. And we're going to hear some stuff tonight in Proverbs 23 we've heard before. And we're going to say, well, I, I, I know that. You know, I know these things. But as we continue to get these things ingrained into our hearts and our thoughts and our minds, you know, these principles get ingrained. We begin to understand the mind of God as we go through the Proverbs. Um, but wisdom is also directly related to our service to the Lord, which I, I was thinking about. You know, we're image bearers of Christ. And so as we go out daily, we're representing Christ to the world we come in contact with. And without the wisdom of God, we're going to react to situations. We can't, help, we can't hope to treat people the way God wants us to treat them if we don't know how God wants people to be treated. And we learn this through the wisdom literature. We see this wisdom coming through in Proverbs all throughout. And, and we don't necessarily get how do we solve every situation, every problem that's going to be fixed in a certain way. It's more about how to prepare our hearts you know, a lot of times we won't get yanked out of the problems, get yanked out of the situations we're in, but God's preparing our hearts to deal with the situations that we're going to come in contact with. And so it doesn't cover everything, but as we study it, we start to see what God, how God wants us to react to situations. Um, a few weeks ago, you know, periodically I teach the four-year-olds to first grade, and then I'll teach the second through fifth grade. So I get this wide range of different children that, you know, react to questions differently, you know. So a few, it's probably been about a month ago, we're, we had, you know, we've been in this curriculum for almost two years, 
And we've gotten to the point where we're talking about Solomon. And so we're talking about the gift that God had given to Solomon to, um, so I'm talking to four-year-olds to first grade, okay? And I asked them, you know, we're talking about how Solomon was given this opportunity from God to get anything that he wanted. And I asked the kids, I said, if God gave you that opportunity, like God give you anything you want, what would you ask for? And um, one of the little girls whose dad happens to be sitting front row says to me, wisdom? And I go, well, yeah, that's the right answer. I mean, that's the, so there's credit, credit there to the parents. But I go, yeah, you kind of stole my ball. I was heading towards the end zone and you stole it from me. But yeah, so we talked about wisdom. So next week, I happen to be teaching second through fifth. And um, so I say to those kids, I'm kind of, you know, you get, they're in the same curriculum, but at a deeper level. So second through fifth learned this last week. And I say to them, I say, Okay, if we're going to learn, I said, if God gave you an opportunity for anything, like what would you ask for? And the boys raise their hand and say, to play basketball all the time. And I said, boy, how things change. You know, as the world, as you begin to look at the world and start thinking about all the things that you need in life to play basketball all the time, and I asked the girls to, and the girls didn't give me good answers either. Nobody was saying wisdom. They didn't think. So it made me just think about how, we, as we get older, think a lot of times we think, is, I got it all figured out. I don't necessarily need wisdom. I figured it out on my own. And here we go from kindergarten to first grade, we end up knowing that we need wisdom. And when we get to second grade, we've completely lost it. So it's our, you know, our world, because our world is constantly teaching us stuff. And the world doesn't believe that God's wisdom matters. Like, there are things that we'll see here in the Proverbs this evening where it's, the world believes completely contrary to what God's wisdom is, and we'll see some of those things. But when we look at, and I think James 3, if you want to turn to James 3, I know you're in Proverbs 23, but James 3 talks about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom from above. And I just think it's necessary for us to kind of look at real quick. So James 3:13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness, in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, and we're going to see that in some of these things tonight, confusion and every evil thing are there. That's what happens. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The wisdom we want is the one, and need is the thing that comes from above, right? And so it's going to be pure. It's going to be full of mercy, good fruits. Those are the things that are going to happen. It's going to be peaceable, gentle. You can go through that whole list there. And when we're faced with decisions and the things that we're going to look at in life, we need to pass them through that filter. You know, is this something that God, is this the wisdom I'm about to use in this situation? Is this from God? Is it from above? Or is it the wisdom that's maybe self-seeking and there's confusion there and there's envy in my decision? And so as we move into Proverbs 23, we're in the midst of what most commentators believe is a structure in the form of amenomope. I think that's how you pronounce it. I had to type it out phonetically because I could not say it. But um, he was an Egyptian scribe 
who wrote 30 chapters of instruction to his son to pass along wisdom. So, so it's in this structure, and many believe that Solomon took that structure and patterned these 30 parables that we've, uh, they're 30, he had structure similar to 30 parables, but these 30 Proverbs, and they begin with Proverbs 22:17, and they end about in Proverbs 22, 24:22. So we're like in the middle of these two. And so Solomon used the same structure, different content, and we're going to see 13 different Proverbs as we go into Proverbs 23. So let's look at verse 1. Okay. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat. If you are a man given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. So we have this proverb, you know, what's the warning here? I was listening to a few commentaries about this. J. Vernon McGee, who I love, he cracks me up, uh, commented and said, don't make yourself a piggy. That was one of the things that he said. When you sit down to eat, he talked about more things, but that was just kind of with his southern drawl. He, that was pretty funny. But, you know, Solomon is warning of the dangers that come from interactions with somebody with power. So you're sitting down to dinner with someone with power. In a world of unjust, deceptive rulers, you know, that's what we're dealing with here. Motives always need to be checked. You know, why have I been invited here? Solomon says that this type of interaction is going to come with a price. You know, I, I rub your back, you rub mine, I scratch you, whatever. Uh, the idea is to be careful. This is a deceptive ruler. He will be He'll want something in return, so don't allow yourself to be influenced in that situation when you sit down to eat. Don't allow your desire for food to compromise your integrity and do something that you're not supposed to be doing, right? It's, it's sad that we have to question motives like this, or, or at least be aware of these things in situations, which I figured I'd throw in a little rabbit trail, because Tim always has rabbit trails. But it made me believe, as a, or think as a believer, how we should not be the kind of people who... Um, who present people with deceptive food. Like we don't be in, we, we can't be, we can be in power and not be that type of person. We, a transformed life acts differently. We act differently as believers. And Jesus was speaking about that in Luke 14 when, when he talked about, you know, when you throw a feast, invite people who can't ever pay you back. That's, that's what we're supposed to be, be like. That's completely contrary to how the world would look at a situation. You know, what can someone do for me? I'm going to set them up. But God says, you know, be kind. Be, don't have ulterior motives when you go, go bring people to your house. So the wisdom of God is different, and we see that here. In verse 4, he says, Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Don't overwork to be rich. Our society says... That's exactly what you should do. Overwork to be rich. You know, build your kingdom here. That's what, that's what living in America is all about. Can I build the biggest kingdom? But there's not a problem with work, right? Riches, riches are fleeting. That's the warning he gives here. But, but God instituted work. There's nothing wrong with hard work. We should be hard workers. We should be the best workers as believers. Adam was working in the garden. It was a gift, not a curse. Our work is a, is a gift from God. Adam was a steward, and you and I are stewards at our jobs to, to represent Christ. Uh, we have life. We have purpose when we come and have our jobs. It's not about seeking riches. The reward itself is the work that God's given you to be there, to be his light in the community. So this is coming probably from the, <clears throat> one of the richest men who ever lived. And one verse that sticks out to me that 
then in Ephesians, um, Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, and he's given a list of things <clears throat> that need to change, need to be corrected. And then in Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. That's a completely different perspective on work, like how we should be going about our jobs. Wisdom from above says work to be able to give something to someone. Work not to hoard to ourselves, but work so that we might be people who give. Don't strive after and dedicate yourself to things that don't last is what we're seeing here. And Solomon knew that if the motivation for work was riches, it was never going to satisfy. It was never going to be enough. And I, I think there's another danger when we overwork and we seek out riches in our jobs, and that is we lose dependence upon God in our lives. That um, I think about little kids all the time. Like when, when, I'm, when the scriptures tell us that we should come before God with the faith of a child, that, you know, what does the faith of a child look like? Um, it's, a, it's a sad thing when in our culture kids have to worry about food or clothing and those sorts of things. I think it's one of the reasons why the church is called to take care of widows and orphans, right? Because a child comes and most children sit and they say, they don't worry about where am I going to get food and clothing and those types of things. And in God's society, that would be something where that's taken care of. And we come to God knowing that he's going to take care of us. He's going to provide. And so when we say, oh, I need to get rich, I need to gain money, our faith is wavering and we, we're not trusting in God. So we need to have full confidence in God like kids have full confidence in their parents. So God knows what his children need. He will provide. I know in my life, the second that I feel like I'm getting ahead, you know, we've got like four years left on our mortgage and I'm getting excited about it and Matt tells me I need a new roof. So, you know, it just comes and it flies away the second you, second you feel like you're making headway. So riches are fleeting and when my joy... My joy is going to leave when the money leaves if that's where I've placed all my, what, what is important to me. And, you know, Matthew 6 talks about do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. We know this verse. We know that. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust aren't going to corrupt, you know. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I think Solomon's speaking to that in a different, in a different direction. Uh, verse 6 says, Do not eat bread, do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. <clears throat> eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you, will ha you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Here's another warning about um, someone whose heart attitude is completely different than their actions, right? It's so be careful who you sit down and eat with is one of the things he's saying here. Be careful. Some have evil. Some are evil. They, uh, they don't care about you. And one thing that is in common about all of us, we all need to be able to eat. We all need that. And, and eating is a very intimate thing. It can be something where there's, there's a bonding time between us. But here we have a miser. And literally, in other translations, it says an evil eye. So something is happening here in the heart of this one you're eating with. He isn't he isn't with you. He has an evil eye. Um, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So in his heart, the true attitude of his heart is coming out. It's who we are. Um, Jesus made it very clear that the heart, it, at different times in our lives, the, you know, when he's clarifying the commandments, he was saying, you know, 
when we, we murder if we hate in our heart, and we commit adultery if we lust in our heart. So who we are comes out. Our attitude in our heart is what God's going to see. And so this is, this is a person who invites you over, then, then watches you, watches how much you eat. You know, They don't really have a generous heart. There's a hypocrisy in their kindness. And when you realize their true intentions, he says it here, he says you're going to vomit it out. They're judging every move you make, and you're going to vomit it out because you're not going to accept this non-sincere gift from this person. And so the Lord calls us to be generous in giving, right? And having intimate relationships with people, hanging around with stingy people, you know what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians that, you know, Evil company corrupts good character. That, that kind of stuff happens. So when we're hanging around, sitting with somebody, sitting with misers, sitting with someone who's got an evil eye, we're called to avoid those interactions. Stay away from those people. Don't sit down with them and have a, have a meal with that and begin to have tight relationships with people that are going to turn us away from the Lord, doing his will. <clears throat> Verse 9 says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. So trying to teach a fool... Is a waste of time, is what Solomon's saying here. So don't cast your pearls before swine. We see that from Jesus and Matthew. So we, we need God's help in these situations in our life. This is one, one place where we need to pray and say, God, I need discernment when to speak to somebody, when not to speak to somebody, because um, if you're speaking to a fool, at different times you're going to be speaking to fools in this world, and you're just wasting your words a lot of times. And that's the, that's the call here. Verse 10. Do not remove the ancient landmark, nor enter the fields of the fatherless. For their Redeemer is mighty. He will plead their cause against you. And we already saw this in Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, 28 said, don't remove. So we've got, we're in this list of 30, and this is the second time he's repeating this. But Proverbs 22, 28 says, do not remove the ancient landmark, which your father has said. But Solomon expands it here. And this is most likely referencing back to uh, Deuteronomy 19:14. I'll just read that for you. It says, <clears throat> "You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set in your inheritance, which you, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess." So I think there's something important there. This is a gift from God that He's giving to them, and now we're we're moving landmarks. So when you had land in Israel, that was your inheritance. This was your land, and moving an ancient landmark was adjusting the measurements in your favor. And so, you know, we can understand the imagery. You know, the landmark falls over, you walk over, you grab the landmark, and you shift it a little bit, and now you've got a little bit more land. You know, I feel like I'm, I do this when I'm mowing the lawn with my neighbor. We're, we're like, I, one time I'm cutting his lawn, and he's cutting my lawn. I don't know where the property line is at, but we're on that thing. But nobody's gaining any possession of land through all this. So, <clears throat> but you're trying to steal something that God has given to them, which is, which is interesting. And here's a warning that, about doing it to the fatherless. And this could be orphans. This could be widows with children. So it seems like a small thing, right? I'm just going to move it just a little bit. But in actuality, you're, you're stealing from somebody. You're taking something that God has given them and taking it from them. So be honest in your dealings is what we're seeing here. Be honest with people, and especially with those who are the most vulnerable, the fatherless, the orphans. And Solomon is speaking all throughout Proverbs about parents, and especially fathers, speaking wisdom into the lives of their children, right? And, and 
the fatherless are somebody who don't have that in their life. They don't have that bestowing that wisdom into their life, especially, and also protecting them. That's what the fathers would be protecting the children. And here they are, they're fatherless, and now you're going to do something to against these people who are so vulnerable. But the most beautiful thing, I think, here at the end of it, it says, <clears throat> their Redeemer, God, is mighty, and he will plead their case against you. Not a situation I want to be in. I don't, I don't want God against me in anything. Just moving a landmark, taking, doing something to the vulnerable. How beautiful it is to know that God takes care of us and pleads our cause, even in the midst of somebody cheating us, hurting us, how often do we see it in Scripture? I just saw uh, look a few things. You know, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. When we rely on those promises, or I, he says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If you feel like you're being slighted, if, if you're in a situation like this where someone of power is doing something to you, know who your Redeemer is, the one who is on your side. God is faithful to his children. It's one of the most beautiful things we can think on and just go, this is in God's hands, right? Verse 12, <clears throat> apply your heart to instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. Apply your heart to instruction and apply your ears to the words of knowledge. When the, when the Bible speaks about the heart, which he's talking about here, it, it's that spiritual part of us where our emotions, our desires dwell. And David was a man after God's own heart, or he was after God's own desires. That's what we're seeing, right? And so our ears... That's how we're going to get this instruction into our heart. And it's one thing to hear something. I think we come into these services, we come on Sunday mornings, and we hear all kinds of things. It's the second piece of it where we begin to apply what we're hearing to our hearts. And, and he's calling him to say, have a desire to apply this teaching to your heart, learning the things of God and then applying them. And when something is applied to our hearts, what's going to happen? That's where our desires rest our actions are going to be able to fall in line when we begin to apply these things. Um, Jesus talked about it. We read the verse earlier. You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So placing godly instruction as the thing you treasure, and your heart will align with it. Okay. So I think we all know that. We're, we hear that all the time. And, but that speaks to us being people who grow in godliness. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be growing in godliness. There's always room for more faith. There's always room for growth in Christ. And the scripture calls us to continue growing in Christ. And there's a verse, Hebrews 6.1. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. All right? And uh, so we leave the elementary doctrines of Christ. The elementary doctrines are important. They're critical. They're foundational. Um, you know, we know what Christ has done for us. We understand the gospel, right? We are constantly remembering that and returning to it when we do communion. Like, we understand those things, but, we, but the Bible's calling us not to stop there. You, you can't stop. Um, God is calling us to grow. And our devotional this week, Rachel and I were going through, it was talking about, <clears throat> do we become Christians who were stuck in, one year, in year one Christianity, right? That, like, you make strides, you know there's certain things you should be doing, but do we become first-year Christians our whole life? I'm 20 years in, and I'm still year one Christian. We've never matured. We just keep repeating year one over and over and over again. Does that happening in our lives? Never maturing, always struggling to take steps forward in our life, always struggling to get forward in our walk. 
we know things in our lives aren't growing, right? We, our prayer life is sporadic. Our devotional life is sporadic. We struggle to journal even though we want to. Um, we continue to doubt the promises of God that might, you know, we read them and we go, and we struggle with that. We, we, we doubt those things. We don't step into service when God's called us to step into service somewhere. We don't do those things, even though God's leading us. Always waiting for something to happen in our lives to get us to actually move, in, move further into maturity. But Hebrews calling us, in, in the book of Hebrews, it's calling us not to settle with year one Christianity. We, we can't be people that are like that. We're growing in maturity. We, we can't be in year one, year two. As, as we move forward, we're moving on to maturity. And there's so much beauty and glory and blessing to be known by deeper and deeper relationship with the Lord. And so this will happen as we do what he's talking about in this proverb, which is study and apply it to our lives. I think it's what God wants us to know here, that this instruction, when it gets applied to our heart, our actions are going to change. So verse 13, <clears throat> do not withhold correction from a child. If you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. So I think there's something we learn from Scripture. This is always a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> this, is, this is where the wisdom of the world changes from, from what, you know, God believes in spanking. It's like we, we read it all the time, you know. Abuse, there's something different between abuse and correction for a child, right? Um, the, the rod speaks of some sort of physical punishment that's being done. And, and it's done, doing something in the heart of a child. God uses it to change the heart of a child, to align its loving correction of our child because it's modeled by our loving creator. Um, this is definitely where the wisdom of the world goes against God's wisdom. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he scourges, right? And one demonstration of God's love comes through his loving discipline to us. You know, if you're off track, a loving father brings you back in line. And Many of the things in our life that are rough, we've gotten ourselves into, you know, God is showing his loving discipline when he brings us back in. Um, Rachel and I studied a, um, when we were, you know, when you're a new parent, oh my goodness, you got little kids? Uh, no clue. We had no clue what we're doing, right? We're like, somehow I got to get this child to stop doing random crazy things. And like, no matter how many times I tell them, stop doing this, they want to do that, you know, not you, Grant, but... <laughs> No, but you just, you know, your kids, they're little, and you're like, how do I, I don't want to be this lunatic going after my children, right? Like, and, and we, we read this book called Shepherding a Child's Heart, and what it spoke to as a believer is we're not so much about, you know, we would love to see behavior corrected. We want to see that changed. But what we want to do is get a child's heart to be turned to God, right? Turning away from the sin, not just, you know, whipping them or paddling them and like they're in a huff and you're in a huff and I came at them like screaming my head off and I went nuts on. None of that is what God wants for us. You know, is God's discipline on us like, ah, you do whatever and comes at us? No, it's never that. It's, it's loving discipline that is about correction, right? It's about redirecting us correctly. And, and that's what happens when we discipline a child. We're trying to get their heart to change and turn back to the Lord so that he's walking in, he or she is walking in proper alignment with God's will for their life, obeying their parents. And so discipline is used to turn the heart to a place of the obedience and also so that they can be useful to the kingdom of God, right? That's what we're looking for in our children. 
it's a beautiful thing um, when it is done properly and in a loving way towards our children. So verse 15, my son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself, yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. A wise child learns discipline. That's, that's what happens. And Solomon has written this book of wisdom and his desire is that his son actually applies it to his life and he's looking for the wisdom to be applied to his son's heart. And look what happens as we apply wisdom to our hearts. It causes us to speak out those things. That's what's gonna end up happening. A wise son, his heart will speak out those things. And what's inside the heart of a man is gonna come out of his mouth and this wisdom will be a result of the right things happening, coming from his lips. It's extremely pleasing, I gotta tell you, when your child and people who've got children, when they make wise decisions, <laughs> What a blessing that is. <clears throat> so it just makes your heart want to rejoice. Verse 17, don't let your heart envy sinners, but be, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. Unfortunately for us, there is a temptation to envy sinners, envy things that are going on in their lives. When we see temporary satisfaction that comes from sin, we can be tempted to envy that and look after that. Um, it can be difficult when the unrighteous prosper and we see it. Um, but the scriptures call us not to envy anyone and especially not the unrighteous. But how do we fight the temptation to envy people? Well, here he's saying, focus on the fear of the Lord. Um, Solomon has this contrast in verse 16 um, between envying the attitudes of this world and dwelling in the knowledge that there's something beyond this world. And so self-seeking, self-promoting attitudes, wisdom not from above, lie in the heart of the sinner, those we were thinking about envying, but we're called to be zealous for the fear of the Lord all day long. Um, don't focus on sinners around you and what seems to be advancing in good and prospering for them. No, focus on God and his holiness. Focus on fearing him all day long. And so, I actually have a, I have a verse. How about that? Eh, Mark, hold it together for me. But anyway, Ecclesiastes 8.12. It says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Now that's beautiful. It's well with those who fear God. So that makes me think, do we fear God? You know, do we reverence him? Do we have a, sen a healthy sense of who God is and tremble at times at the thought of who God is? Are you in awe of who God is? These are all questions for us. And do you open his word with a humble sense of whatever this says to do, I want to do it? Do you hate sin because of the dishonor it brings to God even more than because of the cost it brings to you? Is that what happens in our lives? So as we look at God's word, we know that it does not go well for those who don't fear God. We know it does not go well for them, right? But it is well for those who fear God. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. So clearly we want to be doing that every day, all day. So what does that look like in our lives? How are we going to fear the Lord all day long? Um, some ways this plays out, I, I don't have an exhaustive list, but... Knowing God's commands. You know, if we don't know what God wants us to do, 
seeking his face in every decision that we make. The wisdom from above, we need to seek his face in the decisions we make. Become surrendered to his will for every circumstance. So we wake up every day with Paul's mindset, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. What Christ wants me to do today, I'm going to go out, Lord, pray, when we wake up in the morning, say, Lord, I know what Mike wants to do today, or I know what Brad wants to do today. Say to ourselves, but what do you want me to do? Um, I, it, this makes me think about Martha a whole lot, a whole lot right? There's, there's things that need to get done, and Martha was doing them all. And then there was someone, there was Mary sitting at her feet saying, there was something better here. You know, yes, those things need to get done, but is there something better? Is there something that God wants for you, wants for me? Whatever Christ wants me to do today, I'm going to do it. Looking for that. Are we going to be those kind of people? Looking to him and saying, his ways are better every day, and his ways are right. So, Lord, guide my life so that you are reverenced in the way I'm acting, what I'm doing, that you are glorified. I think that's a, a beautiful way that we say, I'm going to fear the Lord today. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. I'm going to live that way. This is a heart that's zealous for the fear of the Lord. So if the fear of the Lord is our focus, guess what? You're not even going to be, nothing is going to be, envy, you're not going to envy anything that there's nothing else that's going to be worthy of envy in anyone's life if you're seeking after the fear of the Lord. Verse 19, hear my son and be wise and guide your heart in the way. Do not mix with wine bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. So we see two types of people here who give in to overindulgence. That's what we're seeing. No self-control will lead people to poverty. And the warning is to keep yourself from these people. This is another call to, to stay away from them. Their inability to control themselves will not end well for them. And once again, we go back to this, you know, those we hang out with, those who have these types of attitudes will begin to rub on us, rub off on us. Have you ever gotten into one of these situations where you get wrapped up in the crowd, you're hanging out with these people who are doing these things, and you're, suddenly you're in the midst of it as well? It says, don't get with these people. This is all leading to destruction. Verse 22. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth, and do not sell it. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. The Bible is constantly calling us to honor our parents, our whole life and their whole life, and, and we see that here. Just like but one thing we need to be cautious of is just like that Tim spoke about it one time, uh, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, that doesn't always happen, even though you trained up a child in the way he should go. And not always do, you know, the father that we should listen to, where it says, listen to your father who begot you. He may not always be the, the guy you should listen to sometimes. I think the assumption would be here is that... Um, this is a father who's seeking after the wisdom of God. That's the father you should be listening to. So, but not despising your mother when she is old does apply to how God has called us to kind of honor our parents our whole lives. And, and he lumps truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding are all lumped together here. So to know these things, 
He makes a point here to know these things are worth costing you something. If you have a chance, he says, get these, buy them, don't sell them, uh, cherish them. Don't think they're useless and, and sell them. God wants us to be people who treasure wisdom like a precious commodity. And, and Solomon's once again re, reiterating, you know, the joy and gladness that a child who cherishes wisdom brings to his parents. Um, I, I, you know, you think about it, a, a successful son or daughter in, in God's economy isn't somebody who's rich or seeks after earthly treasures. It's going to be someone who seeks after the heart of God. Then you've got, then you're seeing success in your child. <clears throat> 26, for my son, or my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. Solomon seems like he's desperate here uh, to get his son's attention. Uh, he says, give me your heart, observe my ways. He has personal experience and the wisdom that has come from much failure with wisdom. He, he, Solomon's got that, right? And, and there's two things he says here. He says a harlot is a deep pit and a seductress is a narrow well. We have two different images here. Um, that helps his son and us understand the issue that he's talking about. The, the deep pit, this is something that's like a, uh, an animal would fall into. Um, capture an animal, something they fall into, and they can't get out of it, right? That's what we see. And can you imagine what a narrow well is like? A narrow well, hard to get satisfaction out of it. Um, you know, a well is supposed to be refreshing and wonderful, but a narrow well would make like, difficult, you know, and, and there would be little water that comes out of it. It would be hard to get, and it'll just be frustrating. And, and he's saying, so allowing yourself to go down this path with a harlot, uh, or with a seductress of some sort, um, there's no satisfaction there. There's no real meaning in what she has to offer. She knows the wicked desires of men, and she preys on it to her advantage. And the wise man doesn't even venture down that path. He's, he's telling him, don't venture down that, because he doesn't want to fall into that pit he can never get out of. And that's the wisdom there from Solomon. Satan's always trying to destroy the things that God has created for beauty and one to be wonderful. And another instance of not allowing ungodly passions to dictate your actions. We see it here. So then we go into this long section to finish out 23. It says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, or like one who lies at the top of the mast, saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? And Solomon continues where he's warned many times about the dangers of alcohol. And he warns about much of the trouble that springs up from excessive drinking. He talks about woe, that's like grief, despair. You've got sorrow, that speaks of poverty and misery. Con contentions, you get quarreling with others, kind of craziness that goes on. Complaints, 
Wounds without cause, meaningless fighting is going on, redness of eyes, they linger long at the wine. They go in search of mixed wine, and that idea is that they're being mixed with something that makes it even more intoxicating. It's like they can never get enough. They're never satisfied and never feeling like they intoxicated enough. So once again, we have overindulgence ruling the day here for this, for this person. And, you know, I don't need to go down all the things that Tim's already talked about about this, but I think we go to, we go to the New Testament to, to just see. Let's go to Ephesians 5, 17. In the context of being wise and looking at alcohol, Paul speaks to the Ephesians. Ephesians 5, 17 says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. We can spend our time, you know, focusing on what not to do, that we lose sight of what should replace that activity, right? Instead of spending our time losing ourselves in a bottle, God's saying, you know what, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That Seek after the Lord. Understand the will of the Lord. Submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. This is what God is calling us to do. And there's just so much more satisfaction. We, you know, he, he talked about it numerous times in Proverbs 23. So much more satisfaction to be found in living for and knowing Christ. And I, I would say that that is our desire as we have continued through the proverb this, this evening is like, let us focus on that type of thing, growing into maturity this week, um, seeking after the Lord, calling upon his mercy and grace to help us in these times of need to be people who are living in a fallen world where they need the wisdom of God manifesting itself in our lives so that people see and know Christ because of the decisions we're making that aren't based on the world's wisdom, but on God's wisdom for us. So let's pray as we finish out this evening. So Lord, I am just so thankful, God, for um, the truth of your word and that you are with us and that as we apply these truths to our hearts, God, that you will, um, you do a work in us, um, Lord, we, we know that you want us to serve you with a passion, to know you, and to grow deeper in our relationship with you, Lord. So just pray, I pray that you'd help all of us as we go out today. Don't allow the distractions of the world to keep us from you, from your word, um, from knowing you. Lord, may we see the joys of your presence in our lives and just growing into maturity as, as we seek after you each and every day, Lord. So I just thank you for this evening. Thank you for those who are here. And Lord, I just pray that you will work on our hearts in this area. And may you be, get the glory for all of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.